So we're continuing with our, our idea of covenant. And today's just a piece of the story of Joseph. And so we'll, we'll look at that. We'll talk a little bit about the bigger story of Joseph in the sermon. But it's just this piece that we're reading today because, again, it's a long story. And I encourage you, if you're not, if it's been a while since you've read Joseph's story, you might this week take a look at it again. Um, there's a lot in there that can apply to us as well. Hear these words from Genesis 39, verses 1 to 23. Now Joseph was taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of the Pharaoh, a captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and be, he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. He made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all the land, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and with him there he had no concern for anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome and good-looking. <laughs> and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, with me here, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my hand. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And although she spoke to Joseph, she spoke to Joseph day and day after day after day he would not consent to lie with her or to be with her one day however when he went into the house to do his work and while no one else was in the house she caught hold of his garment and said lie with me but he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside she called out to the members of her household and said to them, See, my husband has brought among us a Hebrew to insult us. He came in to me to lie with me. And I cried out in a loud voice. And when he heard me raise my voice and cry out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Then she kept his garment by her until the master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to insult me. But as soon as I raised my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. When his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, saying, this is the way your servant treated me, he became enraged. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. 
he remained there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's care all the prisoners who were in prison, and whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The chief jailer paid no heed to anything that was in Joseph's care, because the Lord was with him. You hear that again? The Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. May God grant us understanding of these words this day. May we kind of look at things in a new way. The word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. So how many of you have siblings? Most of you have siblings? So when you think about your birth family, is there one of the, the siblings you're that you have that would be the your like your mom or dad's favorite or at least that you felt that way when you were a kid is there a favorite you know i grew up with four older brothers um i was the youngest and the only girl um, the three older boys were 9 13 and 14 when i was born and randy was about two and a half years older than me so randy and i were kind of raised as a set and I have kind of this confession I'll come clean to you guys and I always felt that Randy was my mom's favorite um, he could always get away with anything um, he would fake stomach aches so he wouldn't have to wash the dishes and guess who had to wash all the dishes and dry them too um, my mom would buy that stuff every time and I would be stuck doing whatever chores he decided he didn't want to do. Um, he would ask for spending money and mom would give it to him. I would come by maybe half an hour later, ask for spending money and I'd be told no, or you have to work for it. So, you know, I have some basis on thinking that Randy was the favorite. But, you know, I would guess this little piece. I haven't asked him. So I don't want to open that whole can of worms. But I think that if you ask Randy, who is the favorite in the household, who would he say? Me. I don't know. I think it's the way of kids. Well, in this, the story of Joseph, not in this piece that we've done today, but the story of Joseph was, um, was kind of began with this thing of kind of sibling rivalry. If you remember the story, um, Joseph was the 11th son of Jacob. Um, and his brothers all saw him as a favor. He wasn't the youngest. Benjamin was the youngest, but he was the 11th son. And his brothers thought that he was the favorite of his father, Jacob. Um, and, you know, he even had this special coat made for him. And I'm guessing that, that Joseph, being a young person kind of flaunted it over his brothers because he got one and they didn't. Um, and then to top that all off, he had these dreams, which he interpreted to mean that his brothers would have to bow down to him and, and not being real wise and how he, you know, shared that, that information, 
um, he told his brothers that it meant that he would that they would bow down to him. Now, we know in the end of the story that some of that does happen, but you know, think about a young man with his brothers and the way brothers are, or sisters for that matter, and he's kind of um, lording it over them that um, he's going to be more important than they are. And you can imagine that that, um, that that caused some problems. Well, you know, the long story short, and I'm, I'm guessing this has never happened to any of us because it's not our culture, but his brothers decided they had enough. And they sold Joseph into slavery. They faked his death so his dad would think that he was gone. And they sold him. They got rid of this guy who had this coat and said he was going to be in charge of everybody. And so he was sold into slavery. Um, and that is in the chapters before the chapter we're in right now. So we come to this place where um, Joseph's circumstances have gotten better. Um, he was sold then to uh, Potiphar's house, and he became kind of an overseer of the whole property. Um, he experienced much success. Um, and we're told over and over in this, at least this part of the story, that the Lord was with him, the Lord was with him, the Lord was with him. But then there's this scene that comes up where Potiphar's wife decides she wants Joseph. And she, I love that it says that, you know, she kept asking him every, every day, trying to get him to lie with him. And I looked at the Hebrew on that lie with him. It's really, the word, if we were to translate it directly, it would be basically sex now. Like now with a bunch of exclamation points at the end of it. She wanted him now, and she wanted it that way. And, and you know, a lot of the commentators that I looked at were talking more about, you know, this was the temptation of Joseph. And, you know, me being me, I was thinking, no, wait a minute. Here's a person of authority and power, his boss, so to speak, and she is demanding that he lie with her. And so I don't think it's anything to do with temptation for Joseph as much as it is an abuse of power. And so I think that, you know, that that's something to consider in this story. A lot of the things that we read do say it's a temptation, and I don't read anything in that story that talks about Joseph doing anything or wanting anything to do with this person. And so I think that it's that it's more of there he got into this situation and someone in authority wanted to take advantage of him. But however, you know, that part of it comes up, not getting what she wants, she frames him. You know, I can just see, you know, he wants to get away from this person because it's a really not a good situation. Leaves his garment. I was trying to figure out how that would be. Maybe some kind of thing wrapped around him. Leaves it in her hand and he flees. And then she concocts this story. Which she then takes to, you know, the other people in the house, probably men that came back from whatever they were doing and tells the story and and then goes to Potiphar and tells him this story. Um, 
And whatever, you know, conspired or happened there, Joseph was kind of the loser in that. He was thrown into prison. But even in that circumstances, we hear that the Lord is with Joseph. And I believe that that despite our circumstances, that the Lord is with us as well. Um, in, a, in a very real way. I don't know, have you ever been in a situation where things were really, really hard? Really, you know, it may be, it may be somewhere where you're, you're afraid for your life, or it may be that you just think you can't go on even one step more because the burden that you're facing is just heavier than you can do. You just kind of have that thing and then you realize, maybe it's after it's all over, you realize that God was right there with you. In the midst of that thing, you might not have been able to see God's presence with you, but on the other side, when you look on the other side, you see. You see that God was present. And I think that that that's the, the lesson we can pull out of this story about Joseph, is that Joseph's circumstances were awful. I couldn't imagine being sold into slavery. I couldn't imagine being put in prison and all of those things. I can't imagine that, but I can imagine other things. I can imagine losing loved ones. I can imagine someone I love being incredibly sick. I can imagine all of these things. So no, I can't look at the story of Joseph and say, yeah, I've done that. I've been there. But I can say I've been to this other place. And so as we look more at the story, um, to think about this phrase in your own life. You can, you can multitask, can't you? This, this, think about this phrase, God was with him. And think about it this way, God was with me. And kind of let that phrase play in your mind as we continue today. Because we have, we have a lot of examples in the Bible where it shows that the Lord is with his people. God is with God's people. Jesus even says that when he gives the, the Great Commission, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So that with you always is just an important phrase to play out. And what I really would like to do to accomplish in our time together today is to encourage you. Um, you know, I don't know exactly what's going on in your life. Some of, some of you I do know some of what you're going through, but some of you I don't. And I would just encourage you to whatever is going on in your life, whatever you're walking through, however you're feeling, to just remember that little mantra, God is with you. God is with you. God is with you. Because we're not promised a life without suffering. We're not promised a life without struggles. 
now I'll give this disclaimer. Disclaimer, I don't believe that God gives us struggles. I don't believe that God gives us hardship. I don't believe that God gives them to us like, oh, look, there's Sherry. She's been pretty good lately. Let's zap her with this thing that's hard. I don't believe that that's how God operates. But I do believe that God's response to our struggling and the struggling of those around us is to be present, to be here, to walk with. And our story to, today with Joseph is just an illustration of that kind of presence. I can't help, you know, when I, when I think about that, the idea of suffering and presence, I can't help but go back to the 23rd Psalm. You know the one I'm talking about. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He restoreth my soul. What comes next? He talks, it then goes on after it talks about this beautiful abundance and these things that God does to restore talks about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And even in that place, I will feel, fear no evil for thy rock and thy staff. They comfort me. I think that that's a great illustration of how we walk through our life. There are times when we're walking through the life, life and there's abundance. And there's times when we walk through life and it's scary and it's hard. And it's confusing, and it's all those things. And I, in that 23rd Psalm, I see that same thing I see in Joseph's life. God is with us. God walks with us. I see it. I see it in my own life. I see it in the lives of people around me. One of the things that happened with Joseph is that you know, that, that thing where he was, you know, a, a young boy and he was kind of had this dream and he was interpreting it to, um, to his brothers as he was going to have them bow down. And there were, um, you know, that whole thing just seems to me, you know, kind of like something a kid would do. But it gave him, he was in the, the right place at the right time. To interpret the dreams of what was it, the baker and the cupbearer in prison and him having that that call to answer those dreams helped him to save his family later because what he interpret what came out of that is that there were going to be seven years of abundance and seven years of famine and Joseph was able to take those seven years of abundance and help um, his employer put away food so that there was enough food for everybody for those lean years. And so his presence not only blessed, God's presence with Joseph not only blessed Joseph, but it blessed others around him. And, and those gifts and abilities that Joseph had became an asset for people, for 
for his very family, for his the very people who sold him into slavery. And so that just tells me that God, remember last week we talked about Romans 8, 28, God works for good in all things. Not God declaring all things good, but God works for good in all things. And this is the exact same thing, just another part of a story in, in the Hebrew Testament rather than the, the Jesus stories. That this is that kind of a, a thing. It's God is working for good in all situations, not that all situations are good. And so as I look at my life, I look at those times when things are really hard. And I can look back and I can see God was. And I wonder if you have times in your life when you could say the same thing. God was with me. God was with me. And times of abundance and times of scarcity. Laura, I can't help but chuckle. We were just talking about how the pantry was kind of, it was kind of short of things at some point. And then over the course of the weekend, I've got a van full of food and you had boxes of food given to you today. And that's, that's abundance right there. That we never have to worry about the times of scarcity because there's always abundance in God's world. It might not be what we think it's going to be. And, and the, the times that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death may not be the, the way we think we want them to be. But God is with us. And we can see that. We can live that. And we can give that same hope to others. Because I'm, it doesn't get past me that Joseph doing what Joseph did saved a whole lot of people. It doesn't go past me that that's the way it is. So as we walk in faith through our struggles, knowing that God's presence is with us even when it's hard, that we also, by the very way we lean into God's love and God's light, can be a blessing for others. You know, I, I wish we didn't have to go through struggles. Wouldn't it be a good thing? Wouldn't it be a good thing when everything around us sunshine and roses that would be such a wonderful thing but that's not reality as we look at kind of our, our rainbow of covenants that we're looking at this time you know I, I I love that we're on green green is kind of a picture of hope and and hope is so real when we think about God being with us No matter what. No matter who. And no matter why.
I am stronger for the suffering that I've been through. I am stronger that I could walk through the, that even when I thought I couldn't. And you are too. Even if it doesn't feel like we're strong at the time. Each time that we successfully, and we always do, we're still here, we successfully get through the, the valley of the shadow of death. We come out with a few more muscles. We do. And I would say that this congregation, in all that you've done and been, you guys have some really big muscles. That dealing with, with delays with the apartments, having the whole delays and things and closures that came with COVID, um, changes in pastoral leadership, all of those things have built your muscles. And the thing is that God has been present with you through the whole thing and you've had each other. You are never alone. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I do not fear, for they rock and the staff with it. Suffering can catch us off guard. It can. The thing we're not expecting. But if we have tapped into the presence with this, which is within us, we build up abundance in our lives so that at this time of suffering we have light and we have love and we have each other. And we're prepared to weather the storms. The Lord is with his people at all times and always. There was a wise woman, and I don't even remember where I encountered her in my life. But she would tell me and anyone else who would listen, but was especially talking to the younger women that she had contact with each day. And she would tell us to stop saying, what if? You know, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if, what if we don't flourish? What if, you know, what, have you done that to yourself at all? Ask that kind of what if question. And she said to me, Sherry, you need to stop saying, what if this happens? Or what if that happens? She 
changing the language instead changes your perspective. And this is what she said to say. Instead of saying, what if, change that, flip that script, say, even if this happens. Even if I walk through the shadow of the valley of death. Even if my struggle happens, the thing I'm afraid of, even if that happens, I am not alone. When I was young, I kind of rolled my eyes at that. I thought, here she goes again. She's going to say that thing, and I know exactly what she's going to say. But here I am 40 years later, and I get it. Because the what ifs can't help us get through the situations, but the even ifs can. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even if I walk through that time of illness, even if I lose someone I love, even if everything around me is in chaos, even if you kind of get the picture, you can fill in the blank with whatever comes to mind, even if, even if, even if. You are not alone. We cannot gauge God's presence by whether we see times of plenty or times of lack. We cannot judge whether God is with us by our outward circumstances as though he's only here when things are good. We can't do that. We must instead learn to see that in times of comfort, times of suffering, we can see those things as different avenues in which God expresses the fullness of God's covenantal faithfulness to us. That's what we're called to do. Even if, even if. So wherever you are this morning, whether for you this is a time of plenty, or whether this is a time of suffering. We can learn from this passage a great gem, a great... Think about the most precious thing in the world. Maybe it's a diamond. Maybe it's... Think about it being that one thing. Because when we can do that, when we can remember that God is with us and that's the diamond, that's the gem, that's the everything. Wherever you are today, I wonder if you see God's presence in your life. Because I think that this story of Joseph challenges to do just that. To see God's presence in our life, no matter what our circumstances are. Even if. 
even if my friends. May God grant us understanding of a vision, dreaming or not, that God is with us. every moment of every day no matter what we're walking through restoring our soul or walking through the dark valley God we're grateful for your presence Amen